Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. The face of downtown Baltimore continues to change with new development in the work, some businesses downsizing while new tenants are coming in. On today's podcast, we speak with the president of Downtown Partnership, Shalonda Stokes, about the challenges and opportunities as we look to the future of the Central Business District. Shalonda Stokes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Absolutely. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself and tell people about your background and who you are. I know you were born right here in Baltimore City. I know. So thank you. How much time do we have on this? Because, you know, I have a lot, a lot that I can talk about. Oh, I know. I know. Well, it's a 30 minute podcast. So Okay, fine, (laughs) fine. So I'll go beyond. But just sort of sort of the cliff notes version of me. I am a wife. I am a mother. I am a sister. I am a daughter. And all of that I really talk about, you know, Baltimore, me being Baltimore as Baltimore has made me. I mean, I grew up in various neighborhoods, probably lived in five different neighborhoods throughout the city. We were transient and very, very, very low income. And so we moved a lot. I went to several elementary schools. I went to, you know, when you're in Baltimore, you have to talk about where you went to high school because (laughs) that's what matters, right? And so I went to Baltimore Polytechnic Institute, um, which is great. And, you know, and that propelled me For a number of things, you know, Virginia Tech, Morgan State University and all of those things. What I can say that, you know, when we talk about the background a little bit, that makes it somewhat serendipitous to this role that I have now Mm -hmm. is at the age of 14, my first job was actually cleaning downtown at the Inner Harbor. So in that role, I walked, I had my uniform, I had a squeegee that I had to carry a broom, a dustpan and... Mm -hmm you know, I was responsible. And so now to have that as a part of, you know, what I'm responsible for holistically, when you talk about downtown, it it feels really good. <laughs> it's always fun foreshadowing what we did when we were younger. I actually, my very first volunteer position was reshelving books at our tiny little public library. And here I am now. So <laughs> hey, yes, I yes. <laughs> hey, sometimes what we do when we're young, you look back and say, oh, I guess that all made sense. So, it, it really you, does. You also have like such an interesting diversity in the careers you've been in. You have a degree in electrical engineering. You had a media company. So what made you make the transition into more of a public service role at Downtown Partnership? That is the number one question. And when you find out, no, it's so interesting. My background is, so my electrical engineering degree is from Morgan State University. Mm-hmm. And as a baseline, part of what that means is I am a problem solver. And that, I think, is the foundation for any of the jobs, the engagements, or all of those things that we get into. And so I look at it with that kind of mind. So went to school for engineering. Um, I came out of engineering and had probably for more than seven different job offers mm-hmm. and ended up following a path that led me down more of an engineering sort of marketing pathway. So I worked for, you know, for companies like GE and Hewlett Packard. And in my roles within those companies, I was leaning more towards sort of the marketing lens, mm-hmm. right? And so that that gave me insight. And then after working with them for a number of years, I was able to take that and 
elevate that and help it expand my marketing company. And so that part, natural flow. And then you say, well, how did you end up here? And so the pathway to here, a little bit different. Um, I was the chair of the board for Downtown Partnership, Um, still working as a partner with my media company. I you know, thought it was going to be some amount of time that I would serve in that role. But as God would have it, my predecessor here got another job. The job at Downtown Partnership opened. At that point, I still wasn't necessarily looking for an opportunity, but we were hiring for one and COVID hit. And when COVID hit, it put a stop to a number of things because, you know, it was no possible way you could ever hire somebody just over Zoom, right? Like, what was Zoom? <laughs> and so, you know, early on, and I and I came and at that point, you know, the board wanted to make sure that there was still cover around the organization. And so I came in in an interim capacity. And let me tell you, during that time, I fell in love with this job. Mm-hmm. And not only did I fall in love, but I could see how all of my education, my life's work, those experiences, those relationships culminated into something that could be meaningful, not only for me, but for our city overall. Mm-hmm. And I put my name in the hat and three years later, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> I think across, like we always see downtown partnership in media headlines, downtown partnership is awarding this and doing this and doing that. But For people who aren't super familiar, what is the mission? What do you view as the job of downtown partnership here in Baltimore? Yeah, like in its simplest form, our job is to help you fall in love with downtown. Mm -hmm. Whether you are one of our immediate, you know, 11,000 residents or within a one mile radius, the 40,000 residents or the nearly 600,000 that are in the city, like we want everybody to feel like this is their backyard. And then we want to make sure that if you're a tourist or you have an office here or you want to invest, that everybody is like, you know what, I love this place. I feel this place. It has that charm of Charm City. And so we want to make sure that you feel that that's our job. And we do it in a number of ways. At the baseline, we add supplemental services to what the city does in the areas of safety and cleanliness and park service and management and outreach. And then we do big, you know, events and things in partnership to make sure we're bringing people down here and you have fun when you're here, whether it's restaurant week or we shut down the streets for the Charles Street Promenade or partner with the mayor's office for festival. Like everything is how do we make this an exciting, livable, viable place for all? You touched on it a little bit. Obviously, the pandemic had a major impact yeah. in downtown Baltimore. What does the face of downtown look like now versus what it looked like even just three, four years ago? I know it's it's so interesting because that was such an intense part of our lives. It's like, what will we look like? What is it? A PC mm-hmm. or P, uh, PP <laughs> post-pandemic. So coming into this role pre-pandemic, it was a couple of things that we were dealing. It was the pandemic. And then remember, we also had sort of social injustice Uh that was, you know, made very visible with George Floyd. And, you know, walking into this role, we had nearly 23% vacancy. We had what felt like, you know, an intense visibility around crime because the streets were empty, right? Uh And so you could see then some of the things that are probably masked when you have a lot of people on the street. So that was happening. You have businesses who didn't know where their, you know, next check or customer was going to come from. And so mm-hmm. I think at that point in time, it was for all of us, you know, what's next? 
Three years later, you fast forward to that. I'm excited that you really start to feel the momentum and impact of the efforts that went in throughout that period. Like for us, part of what we knew with the, you know, nearly 23% retail vacancy down here, we needed to figure out how we were helping fill the retail landscape. Uh And so we had created programs like Boost that have really been instrumental in helping get black and brown businesses into some of those retail spaces. We received an ARPA grant, you know, from the mayor to expand some of our Tech Connect and Operations Storefront and all of these incentive-based programs to really help people get here and sustain being here without having the business community and the resident, everybody down here and tourists and everybody 24-7 in the way that we had previously. You know, we need to figure out how are we supplementing what's happening in our business? How are we directing? How are we all leaning in? And so we see the efforts of that kind of work post uh, pandemic. You also start to think about, it gave us an opportunity to focus on some of the areas that were maybe not as invested, like our alleyways. And so we've used the time post pandemic to clean the alleys, focus on them. We even launched an an alley initiative to expand them into painting and being placemaking types Mm -hmm. of things. So the thought is as you come post pandemic, you want to start to see a lot more of those pops are in here. And then you have the big things that we talked about, you know, $6.5 billion worth of investment that we talked about with only 1.5 of that being realized. It's like, okay, so we have $5 billion that's happening now. CFG Bank Arena, Harbor Place, you know, all of these things. We know Lexington Market, all of these things that as we start to gain this momentum, these were different catalyzing forces that help with that momentum. Disconnected? The Pratt Library has you covered. With free Wi-Fi at all locations, computers, and devices you can check out and bring home. You can even check out a hotspot with your library card. Get details on how you can get connected at prattlibrary.org. Let's talk about some of those wins. CFG Arena opened just the past (laughs) year. Lexington Market, this, you know, still sort of, you know, the one section open, they're still in renovation at the other section. What kind of impact have those two major projects made downtown? Oh, I mean, it's been tremendous. Right now, we're in the process working with the Baltimore Development Corporation of really being able to come out with a full report so that we could document that impact. Uh Anecdotally, though, we know that it's winning and it's helping. We know it because the restaurants report it. We know it because of our hotel stayovers. We know it because we have, you know, in partnership data, uh, Placer AI and different technology that our partners and everybody used to talk about the uptick in foot traffic and what's happening here. And so we know those things are catalyzing. And CFG Bank Arena alone, I mean, most of their shows are selling out. And part of what we want to do now is Make sure that when people come in, we're giving them a place to now stay over, go after the show and take in dinner. I know partners like the Center Club, as an example, highlight the benefit of having somebody like CFG Bank Arena where people are doing pre-show types of things. And so we know that there is an uptick. Even for some of our boosters that are in here, like our businesses, they're reporting 300% growth over this year. And so some of these things we know are working together to really benefit our area overall. When you're talking about a place like Lexington Market, which is so iconic in Baltimore, but it's gotten this beautiful renovation when you walk in, but you walk outside the building and you're hoping that that renovation causes sort of a ripple effect in the neighborhood. 
How is Downtown Partnership sort of assisting with that when you launch this big, beautiful project and you hope that it sort of spreads throughout the neighborhood? No, absolutely. I think Lexington Market has always been and will continue to be a staple of our city. What's interesting with a lot of things that are happening in our city now, we have trends that are going in the right direction. But in some cases, from where we started is so far, it's hard to see that growth. There's an initiative that Downtown Partnership is working on with um, UMB over there. They have a school of social work. Uh Um, They've engaged really intense efforts in partnership with public markets and, you know, and others who are around the table. And it's how do we really work on the exterior of that area without displacement, right? Uh And so it takes a little bit more time than if somebody said, come out, we're going to clear everything and we're doing this. That, That area took a long time to get the way that it was. And there, you know, like with everything, some underlying efforts. But when you take a collaborative approach that's not just about let's move things out and focus on enforcement, but let's look at the people around and figure out how we help get them help or employment or other things. It's a slower process. What I do know is the partners around the table are working on that and we're making progress. I think as we continue to make smaller steps, there's some bold things that we know we have to do from a timing, but there's a push and pull to how that work is happening. Uh When we talk about people going to CFG Arena or going to Camden Yards for an Orioles game or for one of the um, concerts, you know, Bruce Springsteen in September, so one of the places that people used to, if you were from out of town, you'd think about going to dinner or something is Harbor Place. And Harbor Place uh, is sort of in a real transitional period right now. Talk to me about what you would like to see happen at Harbor Place. With So exciting is Harbor Place is undergoing, you know, historic renovation and reimagining and MCB real estate, which, you know, is at the helm of this, is known for investing not only in the businesses, but people Uh and community. And so what's exciting is their vision includes this diverse lineup of businesses and shops and eateries and cocktail bars and, you know, all of these other things that are frequented by out-of-towners. But the other part, and I think it and building off of the lessons learned from the first time is we also want it to be a point of pride for residents. Yes. And so you have its proximity to Harbor Place and the aquarium and Reginald Lewis and all of these things. It's how do we really start to build on the ecosystem that's happening at Harbor Place? And so there's a short-term, long-term view of it. And so the long-term is bringing all of those assets and you know doing charrettes and all of this to build and get the financing. Mm-hmm. But while that's taking place, I think part of what we're partnering with them on is how you really build in some sustainability throughout. How do you make sure we're able to highlight what's great about Baltimore and unique to Baltimore and showcase it to the world in that interim? And so we're working on some things with them in that area. Yeah. I mean, since I've been here, Harbor Place has, I've been here a decade. It's really been a place for tourists. Mm-hmm. How much is this renovation? It's vital to make it a place that all residents want to go to, that it's a destination, not just Absolutely. for people out of town, but for everybody. And a place of pride. And that kind of, for me, includes local businesses, businesses that, that are born and bred in Baltimore that Baltimore's proud of. That is exactly the key. That is exactly it. And I liken it. I mean, my first job cleaning that was at Harbor Place. One of the places I just loved to frequent was the Fudgery, right? Uh-huh. And the Fudgery was amazing, not only because of the singing, but they were local and it was a little edge and it gave a flavor of who we are as a city. And I think that's the part 
the MCB team really wants to hone in on because there's this, you know, this Baltimore magic that people do like to come and experience and see. And it will also keep us engaged so it doesn't become, as you talked about, just a place for tourists. Uh In what ways do you feel like individual people can participate in kind of the vision of what Harbor Place could look like? Because I feel like if you just want all of Baltimore to really be invested in this. You really do. And I know that MCB has a series of community charrettes to Uh solicit that type of input. That's exactly what they want. I know they held the first one at the Reginald Lewis Museum, but there's a schedule of several of those because they want to make sure that they're getting as much input and partnership and collaboration on this as possible. Uh-huh. We talked a little bit about sort of during the height of the pandemic, some of the things Downtown Partnership was able to do to assist in downtown. But now post-pandemic today, looking five years from now, how much has that had this ripple and long-term impact? I mean, we were talking about how Zoom was something we didn't even mm-hmm. understand or know. And now it has had a really huge impact on the way people do business. Exactly. And there are, I think there were a number of things that we thought, you know, if this doesn't happen, then what? So one of those things, you know, you talk about the state center relocation, which we needed as a catalyst for what felt like at one point an exodus, right? And, you know, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, downtown, do I need this? And so having that sort of shot in the arm around an, an infusion of people and activity in downtown was a big thing. And that's something that you know, we spent some time on and that's where it'll be different, you know, coming out post pandemic. I think the other thing when I talk about the ground level retail experience that felt, you know, desolate at times, you know, we'll have 10 new retail leases with our boosters, probably mm-hmm. seven of those locations in Harbor Place at the end of the year, 17 new businesses that are coming online in this. And these are 17 of you know, black and brown businesses that doesn't even talk about the other businesses around that we've been able to impact mm-hmm. on here with some of the ARPA dollars that we were able to get. Um, we created, and this you'll see at the end of this month, actually, by the end of October, what you'll see is we created what's called the North Harbor Area of Special Sign Control. Mm-hmm. And that's to bring art and light and all of that to the commercial district, as well as support some of the property owners here with leases, you know, with the media companies. And so what this we call, you know, an ASSC allows us to create is like clean zones. And so think about when we bring large festivals here and tourism and say, welcome, you know, World Cup, welcome Super Bowl and mm-hmm. all of those things and to be able to show curated art. And so that's something that'll be very different coming out of it. And then just other ways that we were able to use our spaces. We did a cherry blossom pop-up, like taking over the old, you know, World Relief Building, put a cherry blossom tree in the middle. And it was a bar. We had like 2,000 people come through. Mm -hmm. We brought a a roller skating rink outside in Hopkins Plaza. And so some of these things are us taking the learnings, right, that happened where people wanted more outdoor, more engagement, more placemaking you know, better ways. How do we take those learnings? So on the other side of the pandemic, we're more efficient in building on us. Read to Reef returns to the Enoch Pratt Free Library every October and March. Children fifth grade and under can stop by any Pratt branch and pick up their special bookmark while supplies last. Read five aquatic-themed books and earn four free tickets to the National Aquarium. Details at prattlibrary.org. Part of the impetus for doing things like that, the fact that some of the office space is converting 
into apartments and condos. And so we're seeing more people, some of those traditional office spaces kind of convert into people living there. And we want people to live there and stay there and have amenities that attract them there. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, (laughs) Downtown Partnership started in partnership with some other organizations, you know, pre-pandemic, working on what the downtown conversion would be. And so some of those things happened and were, were going to happen even without the pandemic. I think the pandemic expedited the way that they were going, but we have a high performance market rate tax credit here that does incentivize that type of conversion. And we had started that before then. And so I credit that with some of the reason we were one of the only census tracts to have growth. We went Mm -hmm. in its core from 8,000 to 11,000 residents. And part of it was the stock that we have. And so we have a healthy base of apartments and, and them being filled in the area. So those things we believe are working to the point that you made. Now, what do we need to support all of those residents? Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of what we're hearing is these residents have just as many dogs as there are people, right? And so, that seems now, right. <laughs> how we, and how do we start to make sure that we're creating place for mm-hmm. them? Many people are working from home. And so, you know, if you want them to come outside, it's how do you create things that give them a reason to want to come outside? And so other things that we've been able to do, we, over the last couple of years, worked in partnership with the state and was granted, you know, more than $20 million to help catalyze downtown and development. And so we're able to do things like we're in the expanding the Liberty Dog Run into a dog park and, Mm -hmm. you know, fixing sidewalks and lighting streets and all of those things, sort of that broken window theory, but to elevate the walking experience downtown. Are you seeing a big impact? I, I know Harbor East itself is in the downtown sort of district, but it is a neighborhood that has been growing exponentially Absolutely. at that Harbor Point over the past few years. How is that impacting what we're seeing in the central business district and now Baltimore Peninsula popping up as well um, outside of the district? How is that impacting some of the larger scale businesses that traditionally had been in the central business district? Right. I think part of what's good about downtowns and, and all of those types of things is they they shift and mm-hmm. they expand and they grow. And so when you compare our downtown to other cities, we're comparing generally a one mile radius or so. And that's how mm-hmm. we do a lot of our data. And so our downtown has multiple neighborhoods. I think at the simplest level of it, it's great for those things because for those other neighborhoods to come because it creates opportunity for all types of people to experience the city in the way that he or she needs to want to, and it increases our overall stock. Mm-hmm. What's hard is when there becomes a pitting, though, against the neighborhood or feeling that, well, I'm going to leave this one to go to this one. Mm-hmm. Those are the types of things that make it a little bit more difficult. But the partners and the locking of arms of people has been really, really good. And so it's been a, you know, the theory of their success is our success and our success is their success. And so you look at those neighborhoods as being ones that have had investment. And so they came, you know, post this type of neighborhood where we now have alleyways that you don't have to worry about over there, or they have tighter ground level retail. And so it feels walkable. And so how do you take the elements that we know work, expand on it? Because you need the core to be successful to have all of those neighborhoods continue to thrive. And I think everybody is feeling the oneness of how we need to do that together. 
You've touched on the state center relocation. For people who are not familiar, talk to me about what that brings to downtown, having that facility move downtown and the amount of employees that will help with bringing to downtown. So the state center relocation is scheduled to bring about 12 agencies, 12 state agencies, and nearly 3,000 employees into downtown office buildings. And there are various buildings that they're going and some will combine, some are going into single, you know, building entities themselves. What that will bring outside of the people who are coming here is it also brings with them um, the Capitol Police who are working within those agencies as well. And so that also adds and layers on to what we're able to do with downtown. The Capitol Police currently have jurisdiction from about a thousand feet from the state office buildings. Uh-huh. And so now it, you start to layer in what we're able to do from a, a presence of security perspective, from a feet on the street with having so many people perspective. And what that does for the restaurants and the retailers uh-huh. who are here is it gives a concentration of business and supporters in those areas. Mm-hmm. Speaking of those retail businesses, you've mentioned the Boost program a few times. Talk to me about what exactly is the Boost program and how it has helped BIPOC businesses move into downtown Baltimore locations. Thank you so much. So Boost, it stands for Black-Owned and Operated Storefront Tenancy. Mm-hmm. And it was our attempt to work within the ecosystem that we have with the partners to do a few things. One, we wanted to help fill the ground level vacancy that we had, which helps increase presence and safety and walkability in downtown. But it was also an opportunity for us to invest in those black and brown indigenous populations for us to put an emphasis on things that we knew work. We know Mm -hmm. access to capital is a big deal for these businesses. And so we needed to make sure that we were seeding them with the capital to do not only you know, build out, but facade improvement and operations if needed. And then we put them in a cohort model, building on success models of things we know that work to make sure there was training and curriculum and mentors and resources in the areas of marketing and finance and, you know, just general lease negotiations and all of those things so that a number of businesses that, you know, have been generational, you have the benefit of that expertise. Many of these businesses knew. And so how do you get that? So they get that leg up in here. And so we're able to do that. And we work with them on the locations that they have and the build out and sustaining those. And so, I mean, you could have things like Under Armour come into these businesses and they do things where they'll talk about merchandising. Mm-hmm. Or we have law firms who work directly with them on lease negotiation. So it's really getting to the nitty gritty of helping these businesses be successful. Mm-hmm. And what types of businesses have you been able to bring and foster with this program? That's the beauty of it. I mean, it's really about activating what our community is asking for. And so you have everything from skincare, you know, a business with NKV Mm -hmm. skin to bridal wear and, and, you know, custom garments. You have an art curator, which is a gallery slash retailer. It's, It's a myriad of bake shop. You have just so many clothing retailers. It's, it's, really the demands of the community and looking at what the needs are. We want to fill those needs to help them service not only the community, but position for greater as well. Mm-hmm. And is there an opportunity if someone's out there who is a business owner uh, that is interested in this, how would they find out more about the program? Anything that I've talked about today and anything else they want to know to, please, we encourage everybody to visit us online at go downtownbaltimore.com. 
We have the boost program. And, and even outside of that program, if deadlines are missed or not open for certain things, our job is to really work with other partner organizations to make sure we are aggregating that data, making sure we're pointing people in directions where we know they can get additional assistance. Mm-hmm. I know you have an annual meeting coming up in a few weeks yes. to take a look at the uh, future of Baltimore. So what are some of those key messages you're hoping to get across the annual meeting? So thank you. So yes, on November 9th, we will have our annual meeting. We are celebrating 40 years in downtown. And so mm-hmm. I think this this meeting is going to be a good one as we look at not only what we've been able to do, but we really want to highlight where we're going and how we're going there collectively. And so the, the meeting will focus around some of our core pillars, some major things and announcements that are happening in the area of economic development. Of course, cleaning and safety. Um, we have some game changers that we're doing now. Actually, just came back from taking a, a delegation over to um, Baton Rouge because we're looking at you know how we bring next level safety and security to the area in a way that feels embraced by all. You know, building on the success that we were able to achieve with like the Squeegee Collaborative and others, bringing in other technology. And so we're going to announce all of that. So this will be the place that you'll find out what's happening next, not only in downtown, but the future of our city. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to miss it. Want to be there. It'll be some fun things too. It's the business stuff, some fun things, obviously, but we're at a place in time that I'm extremely excited about. And it's not just this Pollyanna, like with the cheerleader. It's, we see the hard work coming to fruition. I see people working together like they've never worked before. We have amazing leadership with our governor, our mayor, our city council, like like everybody is locking arms and ways. And so, I mean, if we can't do it now with, you know, the most money that we have coming and people uh-huh. working together, then man, shame on us. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, it won't be. It's going to happen. It is happening. I mean, looking at, you know, we've got some projects like CFG Arena and Lexington Market, which are wins. We've got projects that are in the works that we could see coming together. I mean, when you look, what gives you hope for the long-term future of the city looking 10, 20 years from now at what downtown could be? Oh, my God. I mean, when you talk about what downtown can be. Right. I imagine and I see this thriving ecosystem of people and art and culture where you see like creativity flourishing and diversity is is celebrated. Like I see this urban center that's rich with amenities and business and theater and restaurants, sports and entertainment. And it's like all walkable right in this footprint. It's what we have now but ignited and it's growing. And when you talk about, so what gives me hope for that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely the people, right? Mm-hmm. We're smart, we're savvy, we're entrepreneurial, we're kind. We have like our charm in, as I stated, we are coming together in ways that we had not from our governor to the kid on the corner who's squeezing. Mm-hmm. Like we are working together in ways that we hadn't before. And I know that will help start to shift things. It's us locking arms. It's working toward the shared vision for Baltimore, shifting, you know, the public perception that we know is the real us. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to see what we can all do together. It is. It's really exciting. Shalanda Stokes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for just lifting up 
the stories about our city and what's happening and just continuing to do the amazing um, stories that you guys do. I'm excited. Spend the last Friday of the month at the Pratt. Final Fridays are a special after-hours program at the Central Library featuring interest-based activities from arts, music, games, and more. We've got something for everyone. Check out what's happening this Final Friday at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.